This is episode four, Why Nielsen Ratings Matter. Welcome to Why Blank Matters, where we discuss how small topics have big impacts. I'm your host, Kendra Clark. And I'm your host, Amber Williams. Hey, Amber. Yes, Kendra. Why does the TV like the remote? I don't know. Because it turns it on. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty then. (laughs) So today's topic is the Nielsen ratings. And... This is something President Trump loves to talk about. He cites the Nielsen ratings quite frequently, like from the beginning of his time, like from his inauguration, he he cites the Nielsen ratings. So what are they? Um, So basically, Nielsen ratings are the audience measurement system for the television industry. Um, They also measure other things such as radio, music, uh, social media content. So they rate a lot more, but really TV is what they're known for. Mm-hmm. So the Nielsen ratings is operated by Nielsen Media Research, and that was founded by Arthur C. Nelson, who is a market analyst who originally did brand analysis in the 20s. And he eventually moved the company into doing radio market analysis in the 30s, and then later moved into television in the 1950s. So going back to the 1930s, which was the radio time frame, they would collect their data then by doing random house calls and asking about listening habits, which probably was not the most accurate way of doing things considering everything was entirely random. So then in the 1950s, they moved more to the TV diaries and they would have a number of people that would get... The TV diaries, they'd ask them to send them in, or they would go to the houses and collect them. So then we move forward to 2006. This was the first time Nielsen announced it was going away from paper diaries. Then in 2014, they still hadn't gone away from the paper diaries. And the last thing that I found was an article from 2018 saying that As of June, they were going to go away with them in July. So they announced that it needed more time to make the transition from from the data collection, which was digital, to still using the the paper diaries. And so the reason that they were using the paper diaries for so long is because it primarily affects like the midsize and smaller markets, whereas like larger data with the national news or or national media per se, like ABC, NBC, CBS, they could collect all of that digitally. And basically when we talk about diaries, what that meant was people had to physically write down everything they watched in a day, how long they watched it. And so you're really depending upon that person accurately writing down what they watched every single day. For anybody who's ever tried to do budgeting or weight loss where you like write down everything you spend or everything you eat that gets really old after a while and you don't always get everything or you miss things or forget things or you just stop altogether so that was one of the biggest issues with the diaries and why they wanted to move away from them so how do they get this information a book that was published i think in 2014 
how to watch TV news, it talks about the Nielsen ratings and how they would make, and granted, this was a few years ago, how if they could personalize the ad experience for each user that they would. And so I think now we've kind of moved to that because, you know, your your phone's always watching what you're doing. Your TV is always watching you to some extent. But I remember when I was a kid, I was obsessed with cop shows and America's Most Wanted because I thought it was my destiny in life to find America's Most Wanted because that's my initials, AMW, and that was always how they started the show and how they ended it. But there was like, I was like five. And I remember at one point being really afraid of the, the TV because I was like, what if these criminals can see me back? <laughs> and I remember like asking my mom about it. She's like, no, they can't see through the TV. <laughs> but you know, it's not an entirely wrong concept in today's day and age. So and really when I started looking into how Nielsen got their ratings and determined what people were watching, it is very Big Brother-esque. Mm -hmm. um, so they basically gather their information with various types of meters and readers. Some of those are more advanced than others. Some of them strictly watch or monitor the tuning information. So what is on the TV at the time, when it's the TV's on, when the TV's off. Uh, but then some of them are more detailed. Uh, so for example, our friend Sarah, her family used to be a Nielsen family. And when they went over to their house, Anytime they turned the TV on, they would have to check in and say who was watching it. So mm -hmm. the family members that lived in the house were automatically, or, or they were already pre-populated. Oh, okay. But anybody that was a visitor also had to log in. And they would have to put what their gender was, age. I think those are the only two things asked for from them. And then every 40 minutes, it would ask you to check in to see if the same person was still watching. And they take that really seriously because mm -hmm. apparently her sister one day left the TV on while she was doing chores around the house <laughs> and she wasn't doing her check-in. So Nielsen actually called her house to see if she was still watching TV, which is really <laughs> creepy. Um, so you can't just like leave it on in the background if you're a, a Nielsen raider, like you have to be engaged. So, so what happens if she leaves it on? Does she have to turn it off or is it just like it's not logged? Because she wasn't actively engaged? I don't know. And that's really a big answer with a lot of things with Nelson ratings. Because everything is so intentionally convoluted. Mm -hmm. But they intentionally don't want you to fully understand their processes. They have all this data. And then they also have partnerships with some of the streaming services. So they have partnerships with Hulu. Um, they finally came to an agreement with Amazon. And I think some of the other streaming services as well. But... That's really how they get their numbers. So adding to that, I think YouTube is one of the services that has a partnership with Nielsen Ratings. And they, Reply All just did a really good podcast about the autoplay feature. And basically, you know, YouTube implemented the autoplay feature and it would play content very similar to what people were watching. Because I think they had an hourly quota that they wanted to reach every single day. So they added the autoplay feature. And that's kind of added to how certain extremists get their views and get their audiences just because the way the algorithms and the autoplay feature were working together. So to add to that, 
you know, a few years ago, advertisers were pulling out of YouTube because terrorist groups like ISIS can grow a social following very quickly. And YouTube was one of those platforms. So when Walmart or Amazon or any of these other like companies were putting advertising into YouTube, they did not want it going to uh, terrorist groups and, and certain hate groups and things of that nature. So they changed a lot of the rules of YouTube. Like you could only monetize after so many views and you could only... It, it really hurt the small YouTubers that were growing, um, but they had a big enough following to make that their like everyday income. But they really had to change the policies because of, of terrorist groups and advertisers pulling out as a result. So, you know, they're teaming up with, with YouTube and Facebook, but are those numbers really accurate? And then the other thing is to keep in mind, you know, YouTube and Facebook count of you as two different things. And I think Facebook might be like six seconds and YouTube might be 30 seconds for a view. So how does that play into all of this if a viewer is engaged or not? So just something to kind of keep in mind. And and when it comes to Nielsen, so they measure things in a couple of different ways. So they have several metrics that they provide to advertisers regarding different shows. So the first thing they do is obviously their rating, which is the percentage of households with TV sets that are watching a TV show at any point in time. Then you have a share, which is the measure of number of households watching a particular TV show out of every household with a TV turned on. So there's the number, so say there's 10,000 TVs in the world and a thousand of those are watching The Bachelor, but maybe only, so it'd be a thousand out of 10,000, mm-hmm. but maybe only 5,000 of those TVs are turned on. So it'd be a thousand out of 5,000 of the TVs that are turned on. So that's the difference between rating versus sh- share. Hmm. Um, but they also track frequency numbers. So how many times a person watches a giving show, um, they track the average quarter hour, which is how many households watch TV for a minimum of typically around five minutes every 15 minutes. So they get really real specific in the information they're giving to advertisers. They can even tell if you're fast forwarding through the commercials, um, <laughs> which is something obviously the advertisers want to know. Like, because if their ads aren't getting seen, then why are they spending that money? Interesting. Especially with online streaming like it's so easy with certain platforms to skip past the online advertisements well that's why so many of them have made it now where you can't fast Mm -hmm. forward through or maybe you can only fast forward through like every third advertiser Mm -hmm. because ads equal money (laughs) right right um and that's really what all this comes down to is how do advertisers determine how they're going to spend their money and the other thing when it comes to ratings is figuring out how do people get selected to even be a Nielsen family? Oh, that's um, a good question. I know I've never been a Nielsen family, but you can't just volunteer for it um, because it's basically they have data scientists who look at what the demographics are for the entire country. So they're looking at what's the total population, what percentage of those are female, what percentage of those are male. Um, they're looking at ages they're looking at race they have to be in certain locations too yes they're looking at locations um and most recently they've also started a partnership with glad 
and actually are tracking LGBTQ families and what their watching habits are versus uh, non-LGBTQ. So what is GLAAD? I know Taylor Swift mentions it in her new song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is stands for the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. I would work in a Taylor Swift song, but we'd get dinged for copyright, and we can't have that. And basically, when they are picking the, the families, they pick a county within a state, and then within that, they choose a group of block areas, and then they specially select people within that that are equal to the demographic overall in the country. This is one of the reasons that they were actually very against the census adding a question regarding immigration. They... Oh, the Nielsen ratings was against it. Yes. The Nielsen Corporation actually did an amicus brief, which is considered a brief for a friend of the court when the census question went before the Supreme Court. And basically their argument was that if they added this citizenship question, there would be less people who would be likely to answer honestly. And that would give them inaccurate numbers to work with. So the statistical analysis that they make up their Nielsen families with to figure out what demographics are right. wouldn't be accurate. And so that's part of why they were very much against the census having that question. Interesting. Yeah, I could definitely see why immigrants would be less likely to take part in the Nielsen ratings if, if that were a question. And one of the things I didn't realize is that the Census Bureau is part of the Commerce Department. Never really put much thought into it until this episode. But it makes sense. I mean, really, everything goes back to money. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just really the honest truth of the world, unfortunately. <laughs> the other thing is, previously, the numbers only counted if you watch something live. But now they also count things that are watched after they've initially aired. But with the invention of DVR, with streaming services. But they really only track it for seven days. So they do what's called live numbers. So how many people watched it when it came on. They look at live plus same day. So they saw it within the same day it aired but not when it aired live. Um, they do it within three days. Then seven days. And one of the big complaints about this is services like Hulu will have an episode up for 35 days. So there have been a lot of a lot of advertisers who've asked for them to expand that so they can get a better view of what people are watching. Because if you don't watch it within that first seven days, you're not really getting counted. Interesting. I wonder how online advertisements work in comparison to, like, I, that might sound silly, but when you think about it, I wonder how on an online surface it gets assigned. Because with the TV, you know, when it's broadcasted, everyone's getting the same commercial for that area. But when it's online, I wonder how that gets divvied up. So. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, your computer is tracking. always yeah, tracking everything. With cookies <laughs> and, like, privacy agreements and... And who knows what? Because, like, Facebook, like, cookies are everywhere. That We can probably link to some other information that goes into that a little bit better. Um, and the reason Nielsen is important is because, one, is it helps advertisers determine what they're going to invest their money in. But also, like, if you really like a show, like, these are important to make sure your show stays on. Because I know we all have had shows that have been canceled that we were really upset about. Mm -hmm. um, like, can you think of a show... You were real upset about when it got canceled. 
Oh, goodness. I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank. But I think, like, the one that comes to mind is Full House, and that might not been it because of Nielsen ratings. That might just have been because they were on air for so long and eventually went different directions. I don't know why Neil or Fuller House went or Full House. Um, well, Fuller House got canceled too. Oh, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely more a fan of Full House as opposed to Fuller House. Although I did watch both. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was bummed when Full House came to an end. And, and honestly, Nielsen ratings wouldn't have affected Fuller House at all because Netflix does not have <laughs> an agreement with, uh, Nelson ratings. They're actually very opposed to Nelson ratings. And also it's not really advantageous for them because they don't use ads. So they're, they don't really get any kind of benefit of mm-hmm. cooperating, I guess. Is it? I, Cause I watch Netflix and I watch Amazon prime on different occasions. Like I do cancel my membership if I'm not going to be watching anything in that mm-hmm. amount of time. I feel like between the two services, they do have advertisements for, their own made content. I feel like Amazon prime especially does, but you know, Amazon prime also has like things in your search history that will come up in between takes occasionally too. So, but another thing to keep in mind, you know, I've learned this with some marketing classes and, and whatnot. If you are not getting advertisements, it's because you are the product. So that's just something to keep in mind because they have to be getting their money from somewhere and paying a subscription service might not be paying all of their needs and, and costs to make profits. And even though Nielsen does not have an agreement with Netflix, they still try to track Netflix, which Netflix has been very vocal about. Mm-hmm. Um, they've come out multiple times saying that Nielsen's ratings that they've given for various Netflix shows or movies are way off and the numbers are completely wrong. But there's no way to really track that because Netflix doesn't really release their numbers. Um, So you kind of just have to go and trust whoever you feel is most trustworthy. (laughs) And when it comes to Amazon, they only recently started working with Nielsen. But really, Amazon, the numbers that they track when I was looking into the research is how many new Amazon Prime members do they get when a new show premieres? Right, right. Um, because Amazon, while they want you to watch their shows, they're really more interested in getting more customers. Because if you become an Amazon Prime member to watch, say, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, which I personally love, then you're probably more likely to also buy something and take advantage of that two-day free shipping. So more viewers equals more shoppers. So one of the big things that comes up is women's sports. And this is a big topic lately because the U.S. women's team is the world champions. (laughs) So one of the debates that have always come into women's sports and why they get paid less is the fact that, you know, less people are viewing it. They're bringing in less money. But the past two years have been quite the contrary. So the women's team have brought in more money for advertisers and for merchandise than the men's team for the last two years. And they get paid a fraction of what the men get paid. And when it comes to the Nielsen ratings for the Women's World Cup this year versus the men last last year, this year the women's Nielsen rating was 10. So that means 10% of households were watching. 
where with the men's last year, they only had an 8.3. So only 8.3% of households were watching. Wow. So it just showed that there was a increase in viewership for the women's league versus the men's. Mm-hmm. But listening to all these numbers, the question becomes, are these ratings accurate? Especially with the increased usage of streaming services and other outlets to get media. One example got brought up by my cousin Mike when I told him that our topic this week was going to be Nielsen's rating. And he told me that I needed to look into the NBA Finals that occurred this year. So the NBA Finals this year was the Golden State Warriors versus the Toronto Raptors. Obviously, Toronto is a Canadian team and not a U.S. team. Okay. And the Nielsen ratings are only calculating the U.S. viewership. So when Nielsen released the numbers for the NBA Finals, they stated that the ratings were down 19% from last year. But when they got the total numbers from uh, the Canadian viewership, what they found out is there were actually 20.5 million view. There were actually 20.5 million viewers between the U.S. and Canada, which was up 11% from the 2018 finals. But because those Canadian numbers weren't calculated, it looked like the viewership was down. So wait, I was reading that Nielsen has like a global research thing. How does that work? So they track, they track ratings in multiple countries, but they're not tracking, they're not combining them together. Oh, okay. So like they're like their own separate entities from what I understand. Okay. Um, and then another, I guess sports is like an easy thing to point to because the viewership numbers tend to be so high. The other thing that people point to when they're talking about accuracy is the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So, so in the 2019 Super Bowl... Nielsen stated that there were 98.2 million TV viewers, which was a rating of 41.1. So that's 41.1% of households. And that marked an 11-year rating low. But shortly after that, CBS released their own numbers and came out to 100.7 million because they had added in the numbers from their various streaming services, some of which aren't calculated by Nielsen. Oh, okay. So that increased the number. And then other researchers looked in a little bit more and added in non-traditional viewers. So people who are watching the game at bars, people who are watching them at a friend's house, people who are watching it at the gym while they're working out. And they actually came up with a total number of 118.2 million viewers, which is significantly more than 98 million. So how do they take account for the bars and whatnot? So, I mean pay-per-view you know um what is that mixed martial arts so with pay-per-view and mixed martial arts like i know several bars that will pay for mm-hmm. a nightly uh, subscription or or a nightly purchase of certain events yeah how do they have to tell pay-per-view what they're doing i'm, I'm not sure how they calculate those numbers but I mean, I know I've never watched the Super Bowl by myself because, like, what would be the purpose of that? (laughs) (laughs) Like, the whole purpose of the Super Bowl is to get together and eat good food and hang out and, like, and watch commercials. (laughs) Right, right. The whole reason I'm there is for the food and the commercials and a good time. I am not the uh, most knowledgeable football fan. (laughs) 
And uh, in the Super Bowl, numbers are super important because it's one of the most expensive times to buy an ad. Uh, this past year, if an advertiser wanted to have a commercial on the Super Bowl, it was $5.1 million for a 30-second commercial. That doesn't include the production costs yes. and everything that goes into it beforehand. I'm actually surprised a 30-second commercial is only $5 million. Like I, I thought it would be more than that for all the corporations and, and whatnot. Well, that was actually the the cost for this year was the highest it's cost oh. in the history. So five, that five, it was 5.1 to 5.3 million. And that's the highest anybody's ever had to pay. So that brings us to our next topic, which is Sweeps Week. And Sweeps Week is when traditionally they get those numbers. So during that time, they would do the paper diaries and afterwards they would go and collect them. I think there might have been a time where it was only a week long, but now it's quarterly and it lasts about four weeks uh, each time. So, um, um, and sweeps originated in the 1950s when they started tracking TV. But even though we have other means to track things, sweeps still exist, even though diaries don't. And TV programming and TV still plans around the concept of sweeps. Right. So sweeps happens four times a year. It's in November, February, May, and July. Um, we actually are currently in sweeps. Um, it began on June 27th and ends this coming up mon next Monday, uh, July 24th. And if you notice, there are some things that have happened. So, for example... The Democratic primary, the first mm -hmm. debate, was on the first day of sweeps uh, because they want to get those extra numbers during that time frame. But also, like, back in the day, that's when TV shows would do a lot of, what's the word, gimmicky things, I guess? Yes. Yeah, so, like, for with, like, Friends or any sitcom that you typically watch there's usually this big event like somebody has a baby or somebody gets married that's usually falling in during sweeps or they would have celebrity guests I think I was reading one article about sweeps and they were talking about how there was like an episode maybe and I may be misspeaking but I think it was NCIS and they had like Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift on there <laughs> um, I didn't know that <laughs> and so they would do like gimmicks to try to get more people watching like guess who's gonna be on this show this week mm -hmm. um and they've moved away from that a little bit but they still plan a lot of things during that time and it's not just tv it's also how news is broadcast as well right right and so sweeps is a big deal in the news world and especially small town news I know this because I dated a reporter for three and a half years, and at the time, my job was also public affairs for the government, so those two things could sometimes get very interesting. So sweeps is, you know that they're always doing their, <sighs> sweeps is when things get a little bit extra, and not like extra, extra, read all about it, you know, from back in the day, or maybe it was, I don't know, but um. Local TV stations get involved. Um, they do broadcasting and investigative stories. They usually do stories on that spatula that's going to kill you. So just like this ridiculous stuff. And it can be 
the best of journalism, but it can also be the worst of journalism. So as we mentioned, investigative reports are really big during this time. So even here in Savannah, they wait to do an investigative report on like the local police department until the first day of sweeps. And so that's kind of twofold because, you know, media and news media is really the only entity we have to hold the government accountable. So it's, yes, they are doing these stories during sweeps, but they don't really do those investigative stories outside of sweeps. And there might be an exception to the rule, but usually they wait until sweeps to do an investigative piece. So it's it could be a combination of things. The fact that, you know, small town news networks can't just do an investigative report anytime that they want because they have to keep going. They never know what they're going to be reporting on any given day. And so there's a lot that feeds into that. There's a few things that news companies do to keep you watching and to get better ratings. They intentionally schedule the weather after the advertisements because everyone has a vested interest in weather. So usually what they try to do is get you, like they build up for it but like throughout the whole day. So like tune in at this time to find out who who uh, stole grandma's cookies. And so then once they got you reeled in, they'll bait you with other stories. And usually the viewer forgets what that story is by the time it comes around and after the advertisements. So they just keep watching. So again, backtracking to the book that I mentioned earlier, How to Watch TV News. He talks about how it's really important to watch news, but also get news from other sources because... Any story on a TV news network is going to be roughly about two and a half minutes. And can that do justice in that amount of time? That's questionable. So it's important to get your news from various sources and also understand how the news might be manipulating you, although we're not getting into a fake news debate for this episode. It's not about fake news, but it's just about intentional timing to get the most viewers and readers right when amber and i started discussing kind of our research for this episode i was i asked her if it was probably intentional that the jeffrey epstein story happened to come out during sleep because it's such a huge scandal and there's so many different people involved Government scandals are huge during sweeps. I mean, it's even led to the resignation of our, I believe it's the labor secretary, Acosta. Oh, I didn't realize he had resigned yet. Yeah. Okay. He he, uh, announced his resignation due to the scandal, and it just happened to fall during sweeps. Yep. So that's government scandal is huge. Um, Love triangles are huge during sweeps. Anything that is... So there's like an acronym for this sort of sort of thing. And it's like the type of story that gets viewers in. I forget what it is right offhand. And anybody that knows me was going to like wring my neck for not remembering it. <laughs> but it's just like there's certain things that get viewers attention. It's like scandal, sex. Um, I forget. I forget what they are right offhand. We'll put it on our Instagram or Facebook somewhere this, <laughs> this week. But the other thing is to keep in mind is you know, journalism does have ethical standards, but they also have to make a profit. And sometimes those two things conflict. So it's just one of those things to keep in mind when, you know, maybe something isn't entirely accurate. But also you have these journalists in small town networks that are paid like $25,000 a year that are expected to know everything from government scandals to uh 
corruption within local government or the thing that's happening at your, in your school district. So you have these people that are educated, getting paid very poorly, also very stressed and with deadlines. There's a lot to keep in mind when it comes to, to news and, and what might be um, accurate or inaccurate. So the important thing here is get your news from various sources you know, kind of balance it out and uh, understand that, hey, if you're ser- seeing these series of stories that are scandalous or like, like this next thing is going to kill you, it's probably a good indication that you're doing sweeps and to kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Like, how is this affecting what I'm watching as a viewer? And things are starting to change. So Nielsen has been the standard that TV and news and all these different outlets have held themselves to for so long because there are other organizations and companies that track that information, but people associate TV ratings with Nielsen. Like that's just what it is. And, but that system is very outdated. Mm -hmm. Um, In December of 2018, CBS nearly didn't renew their contract with Nielsen because they thought that Nielsen wasn't doing enough to catch up with the current world. And I think it was like the first week or two of 2019, CBS's ratings weren't tracked because there was that lapse in that contract. And so the question is, how do we move forward? We know these systems aren't necessarily accurate especially as media is changing i know they said that uh, there was one study that said uh, there was one report that said that every major tv network will have its own streaming service by 2022 and not only will they have their own streaming service but in order to be competitive with services like amazon or netflix they're gonna have to have fewer commercials because would you rather watch a service where there's no commercials or one where you're inundated with commercials every two or three minutes. So with that media changing, we have to find new ways to track that information. And some of the ways that it is changing is if you go to Nielsen's website and you look at the top 10, you can see the top 10 for um, an LGBT audience versus an African-American audience. And you can also see... Instagram engagement. So one example is the bachelorette and, you know, each week the contestants have an Instagram post that goes in line with that week's episode. And so they track the Instagram engagements with that too. So I think Hannah Brown is, is the most trending topic for, uh, social content, uh, right now. And she's the bachelorette this year. Yeah. So so they track Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook engagement to kind of see, What are people talking about? Because if you're talking about it, you're probably watching it or or at least looking into it. Mm -hmm. So I remember I was obsessed with the show Heroes and I don't really use Twitter much anymore because I've just, I've just never been a Twitter person. But when Heroes was on, I followed everybody, all the actors. (laughs) There was a podcast about Heroes. Like I followed them and like responded back to them. So I'm sure I got counted in those numbers if they were tracking that back then. Interesting. I wonder at what point, because I think the partnerships came when was Facebook like 2013? Is that when that was? Mm, I can't remember the exact. Heroes was what early 2000s. I was in college, so this would have been 2008, 2009. Okay, 
So some takeaways from this are if all the big finales are happening or if news is just getting ridiculous, it's probably a good indication that you're in the Nielsen rating sweeps. So whether that be news or your favorite TV show, just understand that, you know, TV is going to look a little bit different for that four weeks. And so that might affect how things are being portrayed. And also, if you do have a TV show that you love and you want to make sure it stays on the air, a couple things you can do. One, if you get asked to be a Nielsen participant, do it. It's kind of a lot of work and you might get tired of it, but it might help keep your show on. I think they also pay viewers for that. It's yeah. not a huge amount, but it's like an extra check, like extra 20 bucks or something maybe. Yeah, I don't they know. pay you a little bit. Um, the other thing you can do is watch your shows in countable ways. So watching them through services that have deals with Nielsen. If you are the type of person who watches things illegally by downloading them, your view is not going to be watched or captured. Um, and then also tweet about your show and talk about it on Instagram. Talk about talk about it on all these social media outlets because they use that data as well. So that concludes today's episode. And we have a few notes for our listeners a couple redactions and fact corrections. Uh, first one being, we got some questions about the agriculture episode and that agriculture is not a small topic. Well, you are absolutely right. <laughs> so we have kind of decided to use that particular episode as a premise to build upon for other issues within agriculture because it was so broad. It was so difficult to look at future topics without explaining some of like a baseline of agriculture. And that's what we've decided after the fact. And then when it came to the comics episode, I mentioned Kelly Sue DeConnick. And in the episode, I say that she was a writer for Miss Marvel, but she is actually a writer for Captain Marvel, which is super embarrassing because I love Kelly Sue DeConnick and it was just a slip of the tongue. I even like subscribed to her little text service where they like text you like motivational things. Um, it has profanity in the name, so I'm not going to say what the name of it is on the podcast, but she's awesome. But she writes Captain Marvel and not Miss Marvel. And so that concludes today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to give us a review and download and subscribe. And also you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Y underscore underscore matters and at Facebook at Y blank matters. We'll see you next time. See ya.